Don't you just love those adventure trips you see advertised in the airline flight magazines? Well, that is back in the day when airlines had flight magazines in the pouch and the seat back in front of you. And I guess for that matter, uh, back in the day when you actually did fly rather than sit in front of your laptop to take part in video conferences. We've only taken one of those airline magazine adventure trips, and that was more than a few years ago. Wife Annette spotted the ad as we were flying back from somewhere. It showed a raft bouncing over whitewater with a half a dozen beaming faces paddling through the spray. Wow, doesn't that look like fun? She said to me, interrupting my focus on an airport bookstore novel. This was back in the day when I was in my terrified of flying phase. That is, post-enlisted Air Force stint, when I thought nothing of catching a military hop and flying 3,000 miles just to see an old friend for a long weekend. And pre-Army National Guard career, where I got over my fear of flying via open-door Huey flights and C-130 hot drops. Interestingly enough, I've run into a few airborne qualified soldiers who are terrified of flying in a civilian airliner. Even though they've successfully completed jump school, that's paratrooper training to use civilians, it probably has more to do with fearing a lack of control than anything else. The lack of control, the fact that they don't have a parachute strapped on, nor a weapon in their hands. For some reason, during that nine-year break in military service, I developed a fear of flying that necessitated an intense focus on anything other than being thousands of feet above ground in an aluminum tube. Thus, the intense focus I had on the novel. While I no longer fear flying, I do loathe flying civilian airlines for the same reasons that anyone who flies regularly does. Security lines, full overhead bins, cranky babies, novice travelers who slow the process down, etc., etc., ad nauseum. Now, of course, the pandemic has changed a bit of that, but we'll be back to that soon, we all hope. At any rate, Annette shoves the glossy magazine in front of my book, stating, I think we should take Jay on this. Jay being my then 13-year-old son. 13-year-old boys being exceeded in certainness, only by 13-year-old girls and junkyard dogs. Annette was looking for something to develop a bond beyond the every-other-weekend visits, which were usually occupied taking him to the roller skating rink, soccer games, and pizza with his buddies. Sounds good to me. I said, seeking to disengage my view to return to my novel. She ripped the page out and stuffed it in her purse. A few weeks later, we solidified plans for summer visitation with Jay's mom and reserved our spots on the three-day Colorado River rafting trip. While not excited about the prospect, Jay grudgingly agreed to do so as long as we stopped at Mile High Comics in Denver. Living in the Illinois suburb of St. Louis, Belleville, Mile High Comics represented the epitome of comic books, and thus a worthy goal to a 13-year-old. We agreed to stop there on the way back from western Colorado. I need to tell you that in addition to my fear of flying, I didn't have much confidence in my ability in the water. I'd never learned to swim as a child, which is one of my great regrets. My parents didn't have the money for season passes to our small midwestern town's municipal swimming pool, so unlike many of my classmates and younger cousins, I didn't spend my growing up summers as a pool rat. I made up for that mistake with Jay by ensuring that he passed his swimming test by the time he was six or seven and signing him up for the swim team at our local summer swim club. 
Annette, likewise, had grown up as a pool rat at the Belleville City Swimming Pool. Her exercise of choice was hitting the YMCA pool for a half-mile swim three mornings a week before heading to our law office. Following a two-day drive from Belleville to Grand Junction, Colorado, we joined up with our fellow rafting tourists, who'd mostly flown in. We loaded into an old school bus for the drive to the river. Once on the riverbank, the half-dozen bright yellow inflatable rafts were loaded with food and beverage-stuffed ice chests, life jackets, paddles, and dry bags overflowing with our gear. A brief safety lecture and instructions to the rookie mariners followed on how to properly paddle and what to do if we overturned or were tossed from the boat. Be sure to get on your back and put your feet down river so you don't hit your head on rocks, came the advice from the lean, tanned head guide. He spent his summers guiding on the river, with winters spent as a ski instructor. Thirty-ish, he was recently married to our boat captain and tillerman, an early twenties, short-haired blonde, but 110 pounds didn't look big enough to load an ice-filled chest into the raft, let alone tiller a fully loaded eight-person raft through whitewater. Not long after casting off, the surly 13-year-old face disappeared, to be replaced by a smiling face, entranced by the canyon walls and delighted, as the youngest crew member, to be the center of attention of the attractive young tiller person. The next afternoon, after successfully negotiating whitewater, whirlpools, and jagged rocks, the flotilla entered a placid stretch of water with canyon wall to starboard and sandy beach to port. With the desert sun heating the air, several rafters jumped overboard to float alongside the rafts while cooling off in the murky water. Jay floated to the starboard side. That's right to you landlubbers. Adjacent to the raft, when the raft was caught by a sudden swirl of the river, pushing the laden craft towards the rock walls. With the boat only a few feet away from the canyon base, the boat captain realized the danger Jay faced in being crushed between the raft and 